You're going to love this. Just love it. Clowns and Jokers, beware! From Pacifica Radio's KPFK 90.7 FM in Los Angeles, this is your broadcast. As heard on 91.7 FM KYAQ on the Oregon Central Coast, on the Progressive Voices Channel, on Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, Radio or Not, Radio Free Brooklyn, and Radio Sputnik, five days a week. This is your Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow who is somewhat under the weather today, so I hope you will forgive me. From bradblog.com, this is your Bradcast. Glad you could join us. A lot to get to today, a lot of breaking news to get to today, including the fantastic news that the EPA has found fracking finds no widespread system, systemic pollution of drinking water, according to this EPA study, at least according to Bloomberg's coverage of this EPA study. We will be speaking to uh, Lauren Pagel in a few minutes to get the real story on this study. Uh, also today, oh, very exciting, more news in the uh, in the Republican race for the 2016 presidential election. Desi, do we have any theme music for that today? Yes. Is that what you meant? He's doing it again. James Richard Rick Perry, who serves as the 47th governor of Texas from 2000 to 2015. Uh, is jumping into the race for president of the United States once again. And hopefully this time around, he will remember the reasons why. (laughs) He was elected uh, lieutenant governor of Texas in 98. He assumed the governorship in December of 2000 when then-Governor George W. Bush resigned to become president of the United States. Rick Perry, incredibly, is the longest-serving governor in Texas state history. More uh, incredible is that the fact uh, that he is facing uh, he was indicted in 2014, in August 2014, by a grand jury on felony charges for abuse of power. He was accused of coercing a Democratic district attorney who had been convicted of drunk driving to resign by threatening to veto funding for the state public corruption office that she oversaw. So that's the... um, that's the uh, federally indicted Rick Perry, who is now running for uh, for governor. Actually, no, that's not federally indicted. I think he was it was the state charges that he's uh, he's facing down there. Nonetheless, it's history making. It is, and um, we had uh, who do we have? Oh, we had uh, Perry Dorrell on, uh, who who uh, posts our Sunday cartoons at Bradblog.com. Uh, we had him on a couple of weeks ago to talk about those charges, which are ongoing even as Rick Perry is running for president. 
Perry points out, uh, Perry Dorrell points out that Rick Perry, uh, you know, kind of appointed and or worked with all of the judges that are going to be overseeing his case because uh, he was a uh, governor for 15 years. So Perry Dorrell argues that Rick Perry has an ace in the hole or an ace on the bench in his trial. Rick Perry, in the meantime, doesn't seem too worried about it. Um, he's ready to run for uh, president of the United States once again. Here was a short clip from his announcement today. And yeah, it's time for a reset. Time to reset the relationship between government and citizen. Yeah. You think of the arrogance of Washington, D.C., representing itself as some beacon of wisdom with policies that are smothering this vast land with no regard to what makes each state and community unique. That's just wrong. We need to return power to the states and freedom to the individual. Power to the states and freedom to the individual, unless those individuals have voted to ban fracking in their town, in which case uh, the state will take control of, uh, of that and keep them from being able. Anyway, that's uh, well, we're going to talk about that in a little bit. In the, yeah. uh, in the Green News report, that was a bit from Rick Perry's announcement today that he's running for president. Uh, Lincoln Chafee, who had been a Republican who has now since become a Democrat, he also jumped into the race, into the Democratic side of the race this uh, this week. And Jeb Bush, who uh, is apparently not a candidate at all, he's just, he's just bringing in money in complete apparent violation of the election laws, bringing in millions of dollars by pretending he's not yet running for president so he doesn't have to report that money. He can coordinate with his super PAC, uh, I complained at length about that on uh, on this broadcast yesterday and the fact that <clears throat> he can do it in because he knows the FEC isn't going to do a damn thing about it. The Republicans have gamed the Federal Election Commission so thoroughly that uh, the Democratic appointees to that uh, commission have said that they are not likely going to be uh, able to carry out any oversight of these elections, and they're not going to be able to stop a guy like Jeb Bush from blatantly flouting the law as he's doing uh, by bringing in millions of dollars and not declaring yet for president. However, we do have news on that front today after Jeb took quite the pounding yesterday, not just from me, obviously, but from a whole bunch of people in the media who said, what the hell are you doing? Enough is enough. And that was thanks in no, no small part to Bob Schieffer, who on Sunday tried to hold uh, Jeb's feet to the fire. In any case, Jeb has announced that he will announce on June 15th. So he will have another uh, couple of weeks, week and a half or so of raising millions and millions of dollars that he doesn't have to report, that he doesn't have to disclose. He can work out everything with the super PACs in violation of the law up until then. But on June 15th, he will uh, most likely be announcing that he's getting into the race. Also, I should note, by the way, as as much uh, grief as Jeb Bush has gotten over the past couple of days about this, Scott Walker, arguably uh, as much of a front runner as Jeb Bush, he hasn't announced either. He's just out there raising money. Chris Christie, not so much of a front runner anymore, but he's out there raising money. He hasn't announced. 
Now, for his part, he may have a reason. Uh, he may who he may not even announce. I mean, I can't see him not announcing now. But the fact is, speaking of legal problems that he will have to face, uh, that Rick Perry will have to face, Chris Christie has got some serious uh, things to answer for when it comes to Bridgegate. And there's more news on that today. We'll see if we can get to that uh, soon. Also, Desi Doyen and, uh, will be joining us with uh, the Green News Report with more on the actual climate positions of the indicted former Republican governor of Texas, Rick Perry, now that he's in. Can you guess what his positions are? And the position of the uh, former Republican-turned-independent-turned-Democrat, Lincoln Chafee, his position. Also, I alluded to this earlier, we will have news on bans on fracking bans in both the state of Texas and the state of Oklahoma and the one Republican governor who has left a fracking ban in place. We'll tell you who that is and much more straight ahead. But speaking of fracking, good news, great news today. Uh, according to a new draft report out of the EPA, which tells us we have nothing to worry about when it comes to fracking, at least according to Bloomberg News's coverage of the report, which uh, declares there is no widespread uh, water contamination uh, due to fracking. So, so why worry? Here to tell us why we should worry, Lauren Pagel uh, is the policy director for EarthworksAction.org, a nonprofit organization dedicated to protecting communities and the environment from the adverse impacts of mineral and energy development. That would be fossil fuels and, you know, fracking. Pagel has previously worked on environmental policy issues for the Union of Concerned Scientists, Friends of the Earth, and the U.S. Public Interest Research Group. She has, as well, testified several times in front of congressional committees about all of this. Uh, Lauren Pagel, welcome to the broadcast. Thank you for having me. Uh, thank you. Uh, great news, huh? We got nothing to worry about. Everything's good. Barack Obama's Environmental Protection Ag uh, Agency says so themselves, uh, correct? No widespread contamination, nothing to worry about. Unfortunately, that is not true. What? Um, that did happen to be the headline that <laughs> everyone picked up on, but uh -huh. the really important information is that the EPA clearly concluded that fracking has impacted drinking water, and they laid out several clear contamination pathways um, where that that solution has happened and it could happen again. And, um, and, I, and I want to talk about some of those specifics that they found. But I also want to talk about this headline that no widespread uh, contamination from fracking. Uh, they looked at uh, uh, well, well, tell us, how did they how did this study come about? What were they exactly looking at in determining whether there was contamination widespread systemic as they say there isn't what were they actually looking at to make this determination they're actually acting on a mandate from congress um, in 2009 to take a look at this issue mm -hmm. again um, they had looked at it in 2004 under the bush administration um, that 2004 study has been um, pretty much uh, debunked uh, in terms of industry influence um, which we know the Bush administration um, had a bit of uh, when it came to when it came to energy issues, and so the EPA wanted to look at these issues again, 
uh, and responded to a congressional desire to do so. Mm-hmm. Um, they were specifically tasked with looking at fracking and drinking water. They did look at a wide variety of ways that fracking um, and the process of oil and gas drilling generally can pollute drinking water. Um, they didn't look at all the ways. Um, they didn't go out to very many places where communities have been complaining of polluted drinking water. They went to a, a handful of places. Um, they ignored some some really um, severely polluted areas where um, families can light their water on fire. Um, and and they did a literature review and they did some new studies, but they didn't do everything that was needed to be able to make the conclusion that they that they made about widespread pollution. And even if they were correct, even if they're they're correct about no widespread systemic pollution, as uh, Bloomberg News puts as its top line, you know, we were in uh, Santa Barbara a week or so ago near the site of that oil spill in a horrible oil spill in, in Santa Barbara near Refugio Beach. Uh, there's a lot of oil drilling going on in uh, uh, in Santa Barbara, a lot of pipelines. <clears throat> Almost none of them spill. There is no widespread systemic problem with pipelines bursting in uh, Santa Barbara. But it really only takes just one, doesn't it? Uh, and don't we have a similar case here when it comes to to fracking? Uh, maybe it's not widespread systemic pollution, but uh, man, you, you knock out one, uh, you know, you knock out the Agalala Aquifer uh, <laughs> with, with, you know, you pollute the contaminate the drinking water for thousands of people. That's not systemic, but it's still pretty bad, isn't it? Exactly. And we know that, you know, there are probably about, um, about a million oil and gas wells across the country. Um, and industry studies have said maybe 1% to 6% of them fail immediately upon fracking, meaning that the, you know, what is supposed to hold mm-hmm. um, the fracking fluid back from the aquifer um, does not work. Um, and so we're talking about, you know, even, you know, even if it's not as widespread as whatever EPA's came up with that term, it could mean tens of thousands of wells um, that have water quality and water pollution issues. And, and that doesn't even deal with um, the air quality issues, the climate issues, the truck traffic, and all the other things that come along with um, industrial energy development. So we could have tens of thousands of wells polluted, and that would still not be considered systemic uh, by the, uh, uh, the, the terms the EPA used in this particular study. Unfortunately, it seems not. I mean, we know that this this administration has um, really been on point with this all of the above energy message, um, and all of the above includes natural gas, and uh, it's something that is quite unfortunate um, for an administration that claims to really want to deal with climate change, yet still wants fossil fuels to be such a huge part of our energy mix. Yeah, well, if you listen to the Republicans, uh, Barack Obama has a war on fossil fuels, and he's not expanding <laughs> uh, oil and, and gas drilling and everything else. What are the pathways that they looked at, that the EPA looked at, when it comes to contamination of drinking water uh, via fracking? How does that come about? Um, they looked at um, water acquisition, withdrawing so much ground or surface water to use for hydraulic fracturing, 
can end up polluting the aquifer because of there's not as much dilution, mm-hmm. um, chemical mixing and spills. We know a lot of chemicals are used in the fracking process. Um, the well injection process itself, um, you know, can con- fracking process can contaminate um, aquifers um, if there isn't good enough sort of casing and cementing in between um, the fracking fluid and the and the aquifer. Then there's the waste um, water, the flowback and produced water that is filled with chemicals, naturally occurring radioactive minerals, um, and all of that comes up out of the well. And then it has to be either treated or disposed of, um, and there's issues there with spillage um, and also injecting that wastewater back into the ground. Where they store Um, it in the ground and it ends up uh, uh, not potentially not just polluting the drinking water, but that's also the cause of all of these earthquakes we're seeing in places like Texas and Oklahoma and so forth, correct? It is. Um, these man-made earthquakes, you know, from injection wells are on the rise because fracking is on the rise. Um, and so we're having to use so many more injection wells. Um, and it's and it's a serious problem. I know uh, my uh, producer here and uh, co-host on the Green News Report, Desi Doyen, has a question for you. But before I toss it over to her, um, Lauren uh, Pagel, the, one of the things that troubled me actually from this report, it says uh, there is insufficient pre- and post-hydraulic fracturing data on the quality of drinking water resources, and this inhibits a determination of the frequency of impacts. Why is there an insufficient pre- and post-hydraulic uh, fracturing data when there's so much uh, fracking now going on all across the country. Why does even the EPA have a lack of data on this? There is no requirement for anyone to do baseline water testing before you start start fracking. So unless you are going to take it upon yourself as a homeowner and pay for that testing, chances are it's not going to happen. So you don't know what the water was like ahead of the of the fracture. Um, and so you're not going to know what the contamination uh, was is at the end. And they also they also add there was inaccessible information related to hydraulic fracturing activities. That sounds to me inaccessible. That sounds to me like the data does exist, uh, but it's being held by these private companies, and uh, the EPA does not have access to it, which is equally disturbing. Very true. And the EPA was actually interested in... Um, getting baseline water, baseline water quality data, having a company come in, do a fracking process, and then seeing how that impacted the water, they could not get an oil and gas company to agree to go through that process with them. <laughs> Amazing, uh, Des. Oh, so, so in other words, it seems like the, the, the oil and gas companies are, are so happy about their process and they're so uh, convinced that it's safe that they're not willing to actually demonstrate it for anybody. Exactly. Okay. Now, my question for you, uh, you know, basically we know now that the EPA admits in its own draft study right now that they did not do baseline studies and that they don't have a sufficient body of evidence from which to gather to determine that, you know, that they have enough information to even say that. But I'm curious, do you know of what other limitations there are in this EPA study that they that they did not cover, that they should have covered? Well, I think that um, those sort of prospective studies where they could go on to 
a sort of virgin site and figure out and go through the whole process as a company. That didn't happen. Um, we know that they didn't go to several communities where we know, and even and the EPA has even admitted there have been serious water quality issues from oil and gas drilling, such as um, Pavilion, Wyoming, Parker County, Texas. They just didn't look at those places. And so, you know, the, the real fault is that they, um, you know, they could have gone to a lot more communities, um, and they didn't. And, you know, aside from uh, what, you you know, the, the water contamination that they did find that was not, however, widespread or systemic, you pointed out all of the problems, from, uh, you know, from fracking to air and soil and people who live nearby and so forth. And out here in California, where we've got no water left, uh, they're still using it up. Uh, an extraordinary amount is used uh, is for fracking. So I'm concerned, uh, Lauren Pagel, when I see this, uh, you know, uh, more studies the better. <clears throat> Excuse me. But I see the EPA coming out with a study like this. Predictably, uh, Bloomberg picks up, you know, no widespread systemic pollution. Uh, would you be surprised if we see proponents of fracking, both Republican and Democratic, uh, frankly, in the next couple of months saying, hey, Look, the EPA found no problem with fracking. In, in even Barack Obama's EPA found no problem with fracking, according to their latest studies. Yes, unfortunately, I think we're going to see that. Um, that's why I'm hoping we're going to be able to dig into this study and um, really look at all right, what are the faults? What are the missing data? And then what are those you know little nuggets where it's clear there has been water pollution from fracking? Um, that we can make sure to bring up when when the industry folks um, use use the headline um, in the way that you just mentioned. And you know that they will. <clears throat> yeah. Lauren, Lauren Pagel, uh, Policy Director of EarthworksAction.org. Uh, really appreciate you joining us today on short notice uh, on this report. And uh, please stay in touch as even Barack Obama's EPA comes out with more unhelpful nonsense about all of this. Thank you. Thanks, Lauren. Okay, one more story before we get to our uh, break here and uh, come back with Hillary in Texas. Uh, this just breaking, Desi. You may not even know about this. Georgetown University votes to divest from coal. Had you that's, heard about this? I, I had not heard that yet. Yeah. I was busy listening to Lauren talk to us about fracking. But that's awesome. The D divestment movement is really moving forward on this. Well, you would think so. But it's not quite as good as the headline makes it sound. Aww, Once again. Bad. Yeah. Uh, Georgetown University's board of directors voted to divest the school's endowment from coal companies on Thursday, a move that fell short of students' hopes for divestment from all fossil fuel companies. I see. As reported by Katie Valentine over at uh, Climate Progress, students staged a sit-in on campus in the lead-up to the board meeting to press the school's board of directors to vote in favor of divesting from fossil fuels. They were disappointed <clears throat> because the board's final decision uh, only divested from coal. Coal makes up only a small portion of the board's total investments, uh, which they said, and at a, at a Jesuit institution, Georgetown has a moral obligation, the students argued, to divest from fossil fuels. And Georgetown uh, agreed. It invoked its religious standing as part of the reason for, div uh, for voting to divest its $1.5 billion endowment.
to divest from coal. They said, as a Catholic and Jesuit university, we are called to powerfully engage the world, human culture, and the environment, bringing to bear the intellectual and spiritual resources that our community is built upon. Uh, the university said in their statement that it would continue on a regular basis to evaluate in-depth re- uh, is- issues related to socially responsible investment and management of the endowment. But the students said if the board had made their decision for principally moral reasons, then they would have supported full deb- divestment from both direct and commingled funds from coal, oil, and gas companies. So... Uh, I mean, what's the explanation? Why do you? Why would you divest from coal but uh, stay in with uh, oil and natural gas? Well, I don't know what their motivation would be, but I would suspect I would suspect that it is a financial decision because the coal industry is on the ropes. Coal stocks have crashed since the U.S. has been using less and less coal, and the the writing is on the wall for most coal companies and for investors in fossil fuels. That they, you know, there are some coal companies that have dropped from their all-time highs just 10 years ago down to pennies on the dollar. So it could be that it's mostly motivated by financials because the oil industry, those stocks, are doing great. So they can still make money on oil and gas, but hey, we'll get rid of the coal and we'll call it a a, a moral victory for moral reasons. Um, the the uh, Aaron Silberman uh, part of the uh, group, the uh, what is it, Georgetown University Fossil Free Group or GUF, said that they would keep pushing the board of directors to fully divest from fossil fuels. So that fight will continue. Uh, this is a big and it's really underreported, but this divestment movement is going on on a lot of campuses. It's not getting much attention in the media at all. And uh, we're talking about billions and billions of dollars that could be withdrawn from fossil fuels. And it was a divestment movement just like this that made the difference eventually when it came to apartheid in, uh, in, in South Africa. And it started on the campuses, the students pushing their own uh, universities to do the right moral thing and pull out their money. So... Uh, maybe this will make a difference in the uh, in the fossil fuel industry. And I do want to say that divesting from coal is a good thing. So even though it's not the whole shebang, it's says still, you because you hate me. coal no, and fossil fuel. I don't hate coal. You know what I I don't hate anything in particular. Oh, you're what a I hater. think is important is that people recognize that when it comes to climate change, that's a hole. The first rule of holes is you stop digging, and coal is the biggest part of the hole right now. And they will they will come around. I know. They will. And so it's a start. It's a start. It's and something. Literally, stop digging. Yes. But you, you're still a hater. Haters going to hate. We're going to take a quick break and come back with uh, Hillary Clinton hating on those Republicans down in Texas. And all they're trying to do is avoid those uh, Democrats and those haters coming in and committing voter fraud. No, that's not true. There is no voter fraud going on in Texas. There are uh, hundreds of thousands of voters, legal voters, legally registered voters, who may not be able to cast their legal vote in 2016, thanks to the Republicans. Uh, And so I'm glad to see Democrats trying now to go on the offensive for a change. We're going to come back with that and much more on your broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Please stay tuned. What is love? And the evidence is clear. I'm not alone. There are thousands of us here. 
Fighting for your right to vote, fighting for your democracy here on the Bradcast. Brad Friedman of bradblog.com. Hillary Clinton was fighting for the right to vote in Texas today. We're going to get to uh, some of what she had to say. Her call for expanding voting rights or at least rolling back. Yeah, no, expanding voting rights and rolling back all of the restrictions that Republicans have put on the franchise over the past several years, particularly since the Supreme Court gutted the Voting Rights Act, which uh, was a word I was happy to hear it. I, I think she pretty much used those words. I think she said the Supreme Court eviscerated a key portion of the Voting Rights Act in 2014, and they did. We talked a few weeks ago on this program about uh, North Carolina and a strange thing that was discovered by uh, some uh, researchers, a a blogger over at Daily Coast. We had him on to talk about what he found when he looked at the motor voter registration numbers. In other words, those are uh, at at, uh, public assistance offices like welfare offices, uh, driver's license offices and so forth. The, The uh, they're supposed when you when you have a transaction. This is a national law, federal law. When you have a transaction in one of these offices, they are supposed to ask you if you would like to update your voter registration information. And as it turned out, they looked at the numbers in uh, in in uh, North Carolina, North Carolina, where they've had the biggest rollback of voting rights in the entire country, frankly. They have the most uh, suppressive voting law, anti-voting law, voting restriction law in the country, which was put in place just after the Supreme Court gutted the Voting Rights Act last year. So that's already bad, and that law is uh, is being challenged, is coming up for a, a trial this summer. But that's already bad enough. In the meantime, the numbers have fallen over a cliff. The numbers of uh, people who have registered at these public assistance offices in uh, in North Carolina since Republican Governor Pat McCrory came to power. I think it was the beginning of 2013. And nobody really has an explanation why that has happened why all of a sudden people weren't registering to vote anymore at these public assistance offices, or at least the numbers were cut in half, specifically at welfare offices. Well, now North Carolina has been put on notice. A lawsuit will be filed against them unless they change their ways. Uh, the uh, National Voting Rights Act requires that uh, you know this these uh, voter registrations be made available to uh, folks when they come in, and if they do not, they can be sued. And so now uh, a number of groups are uh, threatening to sue if they don't fix the problem. North Carolina says, "Oh, we're we're sorry. We'll take care of the problem. We'd like to work with you to figure out what's gone wrong here, and and we'll fix it right away." We will see if they do. But North Carolina is just one of many now completely Republican-controlled states where Republicans control uh, both the legislature and the statehouse where voting rights are being rolled back in an alarming way. And Democrats, uh, to their 
let's just say to their credits right now, because I'm I'm feeling generous today. <laughs> uh, they they are fighting. Uh, they are uh, filing lawsuits, and they're doing it early. We've talked about some of these lawsuits uh, that have been uh, filed in both Ohio and Wisconsin. Uh, a similar suit was filed in North Carolina by uh, Mark Elias, who is a, a general counsel to the uh, Hillary Clinton campaign. He claims he's not filing these lawsuits on behalf of Hillary Clinton, uh, or at least on behalf of the Hillary Clinton campaign, but uh, they need to be filed early. And that's why they're doing it now. They're not waiting until next year. That's a good thing. And the reason they must do that now <clears throat> is because last year, in a series of uh, decisions made at the Supreme Court, uh, cases that were decided too quickly, bef- uh, let's see, in too short of a time before the election actually happened, the Supreme Court said, no, no, we can't change the rules this late in the game. So, for example, in Texas, in Rick Perry's Texas, where Hillary Clinton was speaking today, where they instituted a photo ID voting restriction law, at the polling places just hours after the Supreme Court had gutted the Voting Rights Act, a law that uh, had been turned down, uh, had been found to be in violation of the Voting Rights Act previously, Republicans put it right back in place. As soon as the Supreme Court gutted that section that had previously prevented that photo ID restriction law from, from being put in place. Uh, so they did that. It was challenged in a court of law, the court of law, the federal court, uh, after uh, a a long, a complete trial. The the judge in that case found out, found that that law had violated the Voting Rights Act, even the stuff that the parts of the Voting Rights Act that was still standing, that it was purposely discriminatory against minorities and that it was uh, unconsti- that it constituted an unconstitutional poll tax. The judge just eviscerated this new Texas law. But the Supreme Court allowed it anyway. The Supreme Court allowed it even though it was found that it is most likely to disenfranchise some 600,000 already registered voters. The Supreme Court allowed it to move forward and to be used in the 2014 election because they said, well, we can't change. It's just too late. The judge decided too late. We can't change the law at the last second. So that's why Democrats are now filing uh, and filing early in states like Wisconsin, like Ohio, like North Carolina. Good for them. They need to get a decision early because even if they get a good decision, it will be overturned not on its merits, But just because, uh, oh, it's too late, says the Supreme Court. You can't change the law that late. So we're going to see a lot of uh, voting rights laws uh, over the next, I don't know, how many, uh, where are we? uh, Two years away from the election? About a year and a half A year and a half away from the election. So in any event, uh, uh, Hillary Clinton, the front runner on the Democratic side, was in Texas to talk about all of this today. She said that uh, the Supreme Court ripped the heart out of the Voting Rights Act. That sounds like something you would read at bradblog.com, but no, it actually came from Hillary Clinton. Good to hear it. She talked about students waiting in line for hours to vote in our recent history. She talked about grandmothers who can no longer vote because their driver's license has expired. 
former felons who haven't gotten their voting rights back, even though they've served their time. She went to Texas on purpose, not just because Rick Perry was announcing his uh, uh, candidacy today, but because Texas, along with North Carolina, has been among the worst uh, when it comes to voting rights. She said there has been a sweeping effort to disempower and disenfranchise people of color, poor people and young people from one end of our country to the other. And again, she is absolutely right. She decried the lack of voting machines that have led to long hours in previous elections, particularly back in 2004. She went against her. She went up against her her, uh, potential Republican uh, opponents in this race. She talked about Governor Rick Perry's crusade against voting rights, about Governor Scott Walker's uh, cutting back early voting and signing legislation that would make it harder for college students to vote. How New Jersey Governor Chris Christie vetoed legislation to extend early voting. How Jeb Bush in Florida, I'm glad she pointed this out. She pointed out his quote-unquote flawed purge before the presidential election in 2000. Purge of the voting uh, rolls that removed thousands of perfectly legitimate voters, kept them from being able to cast their vote. And then she asked, uh, what is it exactly that Republicans seem to have against democracy? Today, Republicans are systematically and deliberately trying to stop millions of American citizens from voting. What part of democracy are they afraid of? I believe every citizen has the right to vote, and I believe we should do everything we can to make it easier for every citizen to vote. Imagine that. Make it easier for every citizen to have the right to vote. That was Hillary Clinton at Texas uh, is Southern. How do you say it, Des? You're Texas a Texas Southern University. It's, uh, it's in Houston. In Houston. Uh, she then went on to decry what Republicans have been pretending is the reason for all of these voting restrictions. They are pretending there is an epidemic of voter fraud, which there is not. I call on Republicans at all levels of government with all manner of ambition to stop fear mongering about a phantom epidemic of election fraud and start explaining why they're so scared of letting citizens have their say. Good for her. Good for her. And then she went on to give four points, and we'll play the extended clip here, uh, four different things that she says uh, needs to be need to be done in order to restore democracy in this country if we've ever had it uh to restore democracy in this country she said there were four different things that needed to be done including uh 20 days of standard uh, standardized early voting across the country and universal automatic voter registration here's an extended clip from hillary clinton at southern texas southern university in houston today Well, today, with the damage to the Voting Rights Act so severe, the need for action is even more urgent. First, Congress should move quickly to pass legislation to repair that damage and restore the full protections that American voters need and deserve. I was serving in the Senate in 2006. 
We voted 98 to 0 to reauthorize the Voting Rights Act. After an exhaustive review process, there had been more than 20 hearings in both the House and Senate Judiciary Committees. There had been testimony from so many expert witnesses, investigative reports documenting continuing discrimination in covered jurisdictions. There was more than 15,000 pages of legislative record. Now that is how the system is supposed to work. You gather the evidence, you weigh it, and you decide, and we did, 98 to nothing. We put principle ahead of politics. That's what Congress needs to do again. Second, we should implement the recommendations of the bipartisan Presidential Commission to Improve Voting. That commission was chaired by President Obama's campaign lawyer and by Governor Mitt Romney's campaign lawyer. And they actually agreed. And they set forth common sense reforms, including expanding early absentee and mail voting, providing online voter registration, establishing the principle that no one should ever have to wait more than 30 minutes to cast your vote. Third, we should set a standard across our country of at least 20 days of early in-person voting everywhere, including opportunities for weekend and evening voting. If families coming out of church on Sunday are inspired to go vote, they should be free to do just that. And we know that early in-person voting will reduce those long lines and give more citizens the chance to participate, especially those who have work or family obligations that make it difficult to get to the polls on Election Day. It's not just convenient, it's also more secure, more reliable, and more affordable than absentee voting. So let's get this done. And I believe we should go even further to strengthen voting rights in America. So today I'm calling for universal, automatic voter registration. Every citizen in every state in the union young man or young woman should be automatically registered to vote when they turn 18 unless they actively choose to opt out but I think this would have a profound impact on our elections and our democracy between a quarter and a third of all eligible Americans remain unregistered and therefore unable to vote and we should modernize our entire approach to registration. The system we have is a relic from an earlier age that relies on a blizzard of paper records. It's full of errors. In fact, we can do better by 
making sure registration rolls are secure, up-to-date, and complete. So when you move, your registration should move with you. Oh, there's an idea. Universal registration. You become 18, you get to register to vote. Of course, we've talked many times about voter registration on this program. I've been covering it for years, uh, well over a decade at bradblog.com and how registration is used to keep people from voting. To Oregon's credit this year, recently, in just the past month or so, they, uh, they instituted, first of the nation, uh, to institute universal registration. Actually, they weren't first in the nation. I think South Dakota was it South Dakota, South Dakota or North Dakota. Um, they don't have registration at all. They just uh, let everyone vote. So there's no registration. Uh, it's the closest thing you're going to get to universal registration until Oregon actually put it in place uh, this year. <clears throat> you become 18. They've got enough records uh, on you. Uh, that they can, you're automatically registered when you turn 18, unless you choose to opt out. That is now what Hillary Clinton is calling for for the entire country in her speech today in, uh, at uh, Texas Southern University. The New York Times is no help here, as usual. They ran a story on the, Democra uh, the Democrats uh, and they're uh, waging a national fight over voting rules. And of course, who's the first? Well, who's the first person they uh, uh, quoted here? Hans von Spakovsky, this uh, right winger who has uh, gamed the election system under George W. Bush. He is the one who put in place, who allowed the very first uh, photo ID restriction in the country to move forward. Even though, when this was, he was an appointee by uh, George W. Bush at the Department of Justice, ironically, in the Civil Rights Voting Division. And all of the career attorneys said, no, 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 we put this law in place and it's going to mean uh, uh, tens of thousands of legitimate registered voters won't be able to cast their vote. And Hans von Spakovsky said, uh, he was a political appointee. He said, no, that's okay. We're, we're good with that law. We'll let that go. We'll let that uh, be put in place in Georgia and in Indiana. Even though all the actual civil rights experts said no. So Hans von Spakovsky has been lying about voter fraud for years. He's been lying about the reason Republicans try to keep... Uh, certain people from casting their vote, you know, uh, those uh, students and those minorities. And, of course, that was the first person that uh, New York Times quoted was Hans von Spakovsky lying about it. He said, I think it's been a growing trend in the last 10 years for campaigns to use litigation like this as a campaign weapon. Says the guy who created the campaign weapon of the photo ID voting restrictions across the country. One more point here that uh, I, I want to play before we get to a break. Uh, Hillary Clinton at Southern Texas University talking about the Supreme Court and how they need to step up to protect voting rights and, of course, how she, if she wins the presidency of the United States, can be relied on to uh, put Supreme Court justices on the bench who will protect voting rights. Uh, some sharp rhetoric here from the Democratic frontrunner. I mean, the principle underlying our Constitution, which we had to fight for a long time to make apply to everybody, one person, one vote, 
And we need a Supreme Court that cares more about protecting the right to vote of a person than the right to buy an election of a corporation. There's an idea. I'll take it. Let's take a quick break and come back with Desi Doyen and the Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast. Please stay tuned. We're stopping the world to melt for Desi Doyen, but we can't stop the clock. Which is now running late, <laughs> thanks to me. That's all right. So let's get to it. Our latest Green News report. A scientific theory that has not been proven. Republican Rick Perry. We can address climate change. And Democrat Lincoln Chafee enter the 2016 race. Maryland bans fracking. Texas and Oklahoma ban fracking bans. Plus, big oil CEOs call for a price on carbon. But there's a catch. Oh, there's always a catch. All of that and more straight ahead. From Bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. Recently, the city of Denton, Texas, voted to ban fracking. Then the Texas legislature decided to ban fracking bans. But don't give up, Denton. I say you should now have a vote on whether to ban bans or fracking bans. Boom! You tell them, Lee Camp. This is your... Green News Report. Your move, Texas Legislature! Okay, Desi Doyen, you have been doing a yeoman's job of keeping up with all of the candidates that are entering both the Republican and Democratic race and letting America know nay, letting the world know what their climate positions are. And there are so many of them to keep track of. And there are still more coming, so don't rest on your laurels yet. What do you have for us today? Well, first, former Texas Governor Rick Perry this week became the 10th Republican to officially declare he is running for the Republican presidential nomination in 2016. And not surprisingly, Tea Party favorite Rick Perry joins the majority of GOP presidential candidates in denying climate change is man-made. The last time Perry ran for president in 2012, he suggested climate change science is really just a big conspiracy. There are a substantial number of scientists who have manipulated uh, data uh, so that they will have dollars rolling into their uh, their projects. And I think we're seeing it almost weekly or even daily, scientists who are coming forward and questioning uh, the original uh, idea that man-made global warming is what is causing the, the climate to change. Okay, complete wing nuttery, not to mention complete conspiracy theory nonsense. I know, and you know, this has serious repercussions for people who live in Texas. Remember that uh, during Texas's recent drought, Perry's response was to have a three-day event to pray for rain. Well, yeah, his prayers apparently worked because they had enough rain over just the past month 
to flood the entire state of Texas by eight inches. Of course, his prayers for rain happened many years ago, so I guess it's a time-released prayer. In the Democratic race for 2016, Lincoln Chafee, former governor of Rhode Island who served as Rhode Island's Republican U.S. Senator and then as governor as an independent, has now tossed his hat into the ring. Chafee's move away from the Republican Party actually makes sense because he accepts the science of man-made climate change. Here he is in his presidential announcement on Wednesday. We can address climate change and extreme weather while protecting American jobs. I thought that was impossible. In fact, Chafee has already enacted climate policies when he was governor of Rhode Island, signing legislation to both cut emissions and boosting the resilience of Rhode Island's infrastructure for coming climate impacts. He also called out George W. Bush for himself lying about climate change. You know, back before Citizens United, when Republicans used to believe in science. And he promised to regulate carbon dioxide, a climate change pollutant. Just by way of reminder that, yes, Republicans used to believe in climate change and global warming. Meanwhile, some big oil companies say they want a price on carbon. After years of obstruction, six CEOs of major European oil companies like BP and Shell have reversed course. They've written a letter to the United Nations asking them to establish a price on carbon in the international climate treaty negotiations. Okay, I'm suspect. Turns out that these six oil companies are major natural gas producers. So a price on carbon would hurt coal, their primary competitor for electricity generation. And, of course, now that oil is depleting and expensive around the world, a carbon tax would also help boost the profits for natural gas. Well, see, that's you looking at the glass half empty. In fact, a price on carbon would also cost something to natural gas producers. But not nearly as much as it would to coal. Finally, cities in Texas and Oklahoma have lost their property rights and their rights for local control. Oh, man, what are these big government Democrats doing now to these poor people in Texas and Oklahoma? Funny you should say that because these are actually Republicans. What? Last month, Texas Governor Greg Abbott and then last week, Oklahoma's Governor Mary Fallon, both Republicans, signed legislation in their states banning towns from banning fracking within their borders, even though new data shows that fracking causes both earthquakes and water contamination. And even though Republicans like to pretend they believe in local control and small government and you have small towns voting to ban fracking and then the big Republican government comes in and overrules them. But it's the opposite situation in the state of Maryland. Maryland's Republican governor, Larry Hogan, has let stand a bill to ban hydraulic fracturing. He neglected to veto a two-year moratorium that was overwhelmingly passed by Maryland's state Senate in April. Hogan! For much more on these stories, please check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. Hogan! I wonder how many people will actually get that joke. Oh, well, it doesn't matter. You got it, didn't you? <laughs> yes, I did. That's all that matters. The rest of you people can look it up. Hey, my thanks to Desi Doyen, our producer. Thank you very much, Desi. Thanks to Cynthia Cohn, our booking goddess. And, of course, to my guest today, Lauren Pagel of EarthworksAction.org. If you missed any portion of today's broadcast, you can download it, as ever, at Stitcher, TuneIn, or iTunes. And, of course, at bradblog.com later on tonight. Hope you'll give us a good review at any or all of those places. It makes the broadcast easier for other people to find. 
I'll be back with you. Same Brad time, same Brad channel tomorrow. If I'm less under the weather than I am today. Until then, you can find me on the Twitters and the Facebook at the Brad Blog, and of course at Bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. I can't stand this in-